Welcome to Lit, a podcast dedicated to life, liturgy, and the pursuit of holiness. I'm Bryn. And I'm Justin, and we're coming to you from beautiful Austin, Texas. Where each week we're talking about liturgy in everything from daily living to following Christ. Welcome back with us this week as we talk about the church year, the calendar, the feast, the fast. My oh my, Bryn, we have quite the load in front of us today. We do. And fasting. Let's just dive in there because I love food. Why don't you tell them what a fast is? Maybe it's not really related to food per se. Yeah, well, it often can be. uh, And it kind of depends on who you ask, too, what a fast is. Uh, You know, traditionally, people did give up uh, things that they enjoyed and things that they were, um, you know, that, that you could have a practice of going without, like food. Uh, so fasting is is a a practice of self denial in order to understand your own reliance on God. I would say I'm gonna be a little more edgy with that. It depends on what Episcopal priest you ask is what answer you <laughs> get, and probably even push that out a little bit further and be even more edgy. Uh, what seminary they went to might define how they answer that question. That might be. How do you answer the question, Justin? Um, I'm not going to answer because I didn't go to an Episcopal seminary. So my answer is going to be right. And I don't want to be right on this podcast. No, I mean, for me, a fast is a fast. It's a fast. Now I'll probably take a little bit of, uh, some from a little bit of something from the Greek Orthodox church. And that is, yes, you fast away from food, but the trick with me with fast that we sometimes forget, uh, in Western Christianity is that these fasts exist to give us a chance to focus on God, not say we gave up. I didn't eat all day today because mm-hmm. I was fasting. But what did you do in lieu of the of your meal times, we'll say? What did you do in lieu of snack time or when you would normally be eating? You know, preparing yourself for whatever it is. Um, uh, take take Ash Wednesday, for example, right? We fast on, you can, you can fast on Ash Wednesday. This is one of those dates that, depending on which Episcopal priest you ask, they'll say, well, you don't have to fast on Ash Wednesday. But let's say you do. Okay, so maybe I would take that time from, if I, if I, if I chose to fast, right? That's a choice. If I choose to fast and I choose to fast away from food, then I'm going to take those meal times and I'm going to, maybe I'll, I'll intentionally pray. I'll meditate, I'll reflect on what this journey is that lay before me known as Lent as we head towards Easter. What what do I need to prepare myself and begin this journey appropriately? So I mean, so faster meant, I've always been meant to keep, create space. And Orthodox Christians use it, they'll fast from all sorts of things, not just food. Uh They'll fast, they'll actually fast from work. They'll fast away from their jobs. And at the time they do work, they'll, they may do a myriad of things. They may be called into public worship or invited to consider coming to public worship that day over, over, over multiple services. They'll be invited into prayer, study, meditation. And that's just, again, to prepare them for whatever it is, whatever that, we'll call it work, whatever the work is that's before them of deepening their connection with God. So... I don't well, know. That, We're not, I'm not too far off of you with that. that. That traditional understanding of fast and the way that the Orthodox have, have practiced it. And of course, I don't know very much about Orthodox Christianity. So um, I, I, I certainly could be easily corrected by somebody, but um, I at least know something from the early church and the writings of the early church and especially the talk about 
um, the passions. And fasting is one of the ways that we work to put our passions uh, back into alignment with our, our noose or that sort of like our soul. Um, you know, there's this uh, understanding of, of uh, passion and reason as needing to be rightly ordered so that the soul can be in right relationship with God. So fasting in that perspective or from that perspective has a lot to do with um, taming the passions. And what is one of the major passions that we have that can, um, that we can become subservient to are like what we eat and being able to sort of take it for granted or indulge um, in it. Um, I think your example about work is a really good one because that also is something that we can indulge in. We don't necessarily think of indulging ourselves in work, but um, when it takes up a disproportionate amount of our time and our life's energy, um, then, then it can be a kind of indulgence. And all of those indulgences have to do with, you know, prioritizing ourselves and our ego over, being in relationship with God, you know, so we're serving ourselves instead of serving relationship with God. But man, did we bite off uh, a big chunk talking about I was about, about to say, I, I got us, I got us into this. this, I got us into this rabbit hole. Now I've got to get us out. Um, yeah, you did. Where are we going from here, Justin? Well, I was going to say, just to your point of the early church, uh, what you just described is asceticism or ascesis, and it's yeah. that, and they, and that's what the early church, uh, many who are in the desert, they would actually fast from the world to work on themselves, to work on the passions. Now, also, now watch how I build this bridge. Watch me build this bridge, Brent. <laughs> Part of going out and doing those, that kind of fasting work also, also was their way of reconnecting with time, memory, and the holy. And that's really, I think, the, the overarching theme of what we want to talk about today fasting being one part of that is how that do was we clever that was clever how do we how do we connect and mark time with the divine and and how does how does the prayer book help us do that with the rhythms that it creates with our prayer book calendar you like yeah, how i did that brought I like us right that. back i'm gonna go i'm gonna go with that too and say that you know one of the important things about a fast um a liturgical fast and we do, you know, you, you joked earlier about it depends on what priest you ask. Um, but if you ask the prayer book, there are two fasts, um, you know, principal fasts. There are other times when you can observe um, fast, but there are two uh, dates of fasting, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. Um, so that doesn't depend on what priest you ask. That's, uh, that's what the prayer book tells us our, our, our fast days. Um, but fasting like we do for a whole season, like in Lent, um, Advent, which we are going to talk about a little bit, I think. Um, Advent isn't typically thought of as a fasting season anymore, but it used to be. Um, but all of those are preparation for a feast. You know, so we fast and then we feast. We fast before we have a major celebration in order to really prepare ourselves to be the more um, the more spiritual, the more um, sort of uh, aware people who can observe those um, feasts when they come up. And we, and it is part of our rhythm to have, um, you know, times of, um, times of 
of having little and then times of having plenty. Yeah, and that's the feast. So we don't have to talk about being hungry the whole time. We talk about feast. But one of the funny ways that uh, I don't, I can't credit because I can't remember. This was when I was in confirmation class. I would like to say it was Doug Renniger or Father Renniger thinking it had to be one of three priests that were helping with our confirmation class growing up. But I remember him saying, because to your point, we, we were taught in confirmation class that Advent is a fasting season. Mm-hmm. And the way they said, you can always remember your fasting seasons or your seasons where you should really try to be more reflective pull back, really try to work on yourself in relation to God and your relationship with God. They said, if you ever see us wear purple, then you need Mm -hmm. to be fasting. And if you (laughs) see us wear white, you need to be feasting. And if you see us wear green, you need to be listening. (laughs) Uh And, uh, and it's kind of a crude way to actually let the liturgical colors, which are tied to the calendar, Uh kind of guide you through the year. Obviously, right now we're in the long green season and the green season or the season after Pentecost is full of stories and teachings where we're listening. We're listening about how God, how Jesus calls us to live, how he's teaching the disciples to live when he's not there anymore, Um, which is an interesting way just to, if you walked into a church and you're wondering where we are, if that's all you knew, you'd at least have a start on, okay, this is a season where I'm probably supposed to be a little more reflective because they're wearing purple. It's mm-hmm. not perfect, though, because not all churches wear purple in Advent anymore. They brought in a lot of churches mm-hmm. now use royal blue. Yep. Yep. True. So I think to uh, to bring it back to some specifics, though, let's talk a little bit about the 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 yearly rhythm of um, of our our liturgical cycle. So this calendar that we have. Um, is, you know, it, it follows a, a 365-day calendar, or what was it, 365.248-day uh, calendar. Um, and it, it really, for us, revolves around um, two cycles, two cycles for the church. So those cycles are, um, are what, Justin? The incarnational cycle, Bryn, and the paschal cycle. Exactly. So the incarnational cycle is um, the cycle leading up to the feast of the incarnation, which is also known as Christmas, um, when we celebrate the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the paschal cycle is the cycle that leads up to um, to Jesus's death and then ultimately resurrection, which is what we celebrate on Easter. And so those two cycles are really the, you know, hold down the corners um, of, of our liturgical year. Um, and, and then we have, you know, a bunch of other kind of cycles that fit, fit in the middle of those and, and um, you know, around those. One of the interesting things that I think, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, is the way that these cycles um, you know, put us in touch with maybe a more natural rhythm of living than, than what our kind of daily monotonous life can do, you know, cause man, you can really get into a routine of doing the same thing day after day, after day, after day, after day. And then, you know, days turn into months, turn into years. Um, and then you realize you've been doing the same thing for a long time, um, maybe without much reflection about it. But if you pay attention to the invitation of the church through that church calendar 
you you can't do that. You can't do that monotony. It calls you into um, changing time, observing time in different ways. And it's really a pretty natural cycle. You know, even if we think about the colors, like you were talking about, um, you know, so we have these different liturgical colors depending on the season. Um, I think I think one of the interesting things about that is just we have different uh, colors outside too, you know, like the leaves are green on the trees and then they turn orange and red and then they fall off and then they're bare. And, um, you know, like there's a sort of changing landscape around us of, of um, nature that our liturgical year sort of reflects that. Yeah. And I think the life cycles of the church are important because they mirror our life cycles, right? Like you're just talking about not only nature, but our, our time from birth till death. I mean, and then the beautiful thing is the resurrection. So what you just described in nature, you have what we're going into now fall. So everything's turning, we're aging, if you will, and Mm -hmm. things are going to look like they're dead. Now, of course, depending on where you live in the country that that may not (laughs) evergreens will stay green year round. But for all intensive purposes, up in the, let's just say up in the New England area, for example, where this is most obvious, people flock to watch the leaves change color and everything will go dormant and appear dead here shortly as the leaves fall off the tree. And then you'll see those buds in the spring and new life coming. And that to me, the liturgical life of the church captures that beautiful life cycle, not from, from birth to death to resurrection. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. So when we move through this, in a way, we have a chance to reinvent ourselves every single year. Yeah. If we're willing to do the work. Yeah. Well, and not just reinvent ourselves so that you can, you know, live your best life, but reinvent yourself as somebody who is um, is going deeper in their relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, we're not just supposed to like, become your best self. That's not primarily what the church calls us into. The church calls us into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that cycle that, you know, I I thought that was great that you said it's a cycle of from birth till death till resurrection. And that that's our cycle too, that we're born. We live this life with God. um, We will die and we will be resurrected with Jesus Christ. So it is our life cycle. It's not just that we watch Jesus's life cycle over and over again. It's that we we live we, it. We live it. Yeah, absolutely. We, we live, live it. it. Every time we take a breath, we live it. And I'm just going to push back a little bit on that. But becoming your best self, though, it's not self-help. But your best self, as Maximus the Confessor would say, would be intentionally focused on your relationship with God. And of course... Yeah deepening that. So I get your point, but I'm going to just push back there, Bryn, because it's Monday and I can be edgy like that. (laughs) I've just been edgy all day today. I'll give you that one. (laughs) But, you know, I get your point though. This is not, I mean, we're not called, church is not just another self-help place. That's important. That's, and I'm glad you said that. It's not, you don't just come to church for self-help. That's not, you, you come to church to be in relationship with God. And, and we believe that you were created by God and God calls us back to God's self. Mm-hmm. And we work on, we cultivate that. And that's what Maximus talks about. So becoming our 
our best self is cultivating and using those gifts that God's blessed us with for the betterment of God's kingdom in community with one another. Mm-hmm. That's important because you have to participate in that. You're not just coming to receive and then you leave somehow, you know, like a with your you come as an iPhone eight and you leave as an iPhone twelve. That's not, <laughs> not what's gonna happen at church. That's my little technology metaphor for today. Well, so let's so we kind of touched on this, and I and I think you say this better than I do, but I do just want to pause, and we're going to kind of, I just want to let everybody know we're going to jump back up to about 30,000 feet, because I think it's important that we say this. So we've kind of dug, we, we've dug in, partially my fault, into little specifics. But I really want people to understand that that calendar is how we mark time with the divine, which we've touched on, but I want to just say it point blank. We mark time. It's how we live into holy space. It helps us live into holy space. And, and, um, and maybe it would be helpful, Bryn, for you to talk a little bit about memory and remembering and how that feeds into this whole notion. And again, everybody who's listening, we're going back up. We're just going to step out of fasting and feast for just a second and just, just kind of go to this bigger place for just a minute just to make some connections. Well, just a comment before we move into that on what you said about, you know, marking time as holy. It's not just that we set aside some time to be holy. It's that we realize the sacred nature of all time and that our whole lives are in God's hands, not just sort of like one little aspect of it, which, you know, can be, um, we can sort of easily lose sight of that when, um, you know, when church is something that we just do on Sunday, when we think of faith or religion as something that happens kind of occasionally or as one part of a life. But ideally, as we as we grow into a life of faith, then that faith becomes the container for everything. And then this time becomes the time in which everything else happens instead of this being sort of, you know, like I have a Google uh, calendar for my family, uh, and I have a Google calendar for work, and I have a Google calendar for my personal one, and then there's a Google liturgical calendar. We could think of this as being just one more calendar that we've got to like check dates on. Um, but the reality that we are striving for is actually that this becomes the one calendar that every other date and event and aspect of our life goes on to. Got it. Check. <laughs> well said. See, I knew you'd say it better than me. It's essentially, I would compare it, and you, I may be walking myself into a, you may just lambast me after this, but Sunday's reading. So Sunday, we heard the gospel from Matthew, where they tried, the Pharisees and the uh, Herodians try to trap Jesus by saying, is it, is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor? This great uh-huh. question. And then Jesus has, you know, the epic comebacks of all time. Uh, show me the coin. And of course they show him the coin and it's got Caesar. He says, give to Caesar what Caesar actually calls them hypocrites. Mm-hmm. And the reality, one of the ways interpreters talk about that text, to your point, is that in reality, Jesus was just saying, it's kind of funny you say this, this is going to fade away, but everything belongs to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know a lot of the early church took that story to say, God imprints on us the uh, Imago Dei, the image of God's on us, and that's not going to waste away. Same being with time. Time is a gift of God, and Mm -hmm. it's all sacred. And how are we going to utilize that time 
for the again for the betterment of the kingdom for uh, connecting with the divine with one another and doing the work God calls us to do man I think there's no better time to I mean forgive the forgive the the pun but no better time to talk about this than you know in the midst of a global pandemic frankly because time is a totally different experience right now than it is at other times, you know? And I think there's a, I have felt this myself, this kind of urge to like get through this time, you know, and to think about the beyond and think about when this is over, I want to do X, Y, and Z and, um, and all of that. I kind of, you know, I've had to reframe this for myself a couple of times. Um, Just acknowledge that, that this time it may not be what we want for this time. We may really look forward to when this is over and those things are all perfectly good and valid and important. Um, But we also shouldn't lose this time. You know, like this is still the time that God has given us. And if we really believe that all time is a gift for us, that time is like basically the ultimate gift that we get from God is, our life and our time to live it, then even when things are not going well, um, just rushing to get through life is, is missing the gift that we're given. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the, you know, to your point, what it worries me about a lot, especially folks in the church is they're, they're, they're not valuing, valuing, value, I can't say this word today, valuing our time. <laughs> This is what happens when you have two little kids at home, valuing our time during the pandemic. And I feel like everybody's racing to, to almost go back to a pastime instead of letting this wonderful opportunity that's scary, terrible, horrible, yet beautiful at the same time known as this pandemic to shape us and to yeah. create opportunities in space. For example, if you walk through the, you know, every year we're going to celebrate Easter. It's not like in 2021, it's going to be a different Easter than it was in 2020. Mm-hmm. In terms of the the feast itself, yeah, it's going to be similar readings, similar prayers, but it won't be the same Easter. It won't be the exact same mm-hmm. because you've let yourself, you've grown, hopefully, you've lived into the future, the present, the future, and you're moving and you're transforming, you're working on yourself. That's what's scary to me and why I'm glad we're talking about during this pandemic because the thing I'm seeing is people are trying to freeze themselves and they're trying mm-hmm. to run backwards instead of running ahead yeah, uh, and, and seizing the moment and the opportunity, which is the gift of time, the gift of time that we have right now with everything that's going on, even if it's things we just didn't want to have happen. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah, still, well, there's still a gift in this, in this, in this moment. Well, and I think one of the, the gifts of the church calendar is just to remind us that all of this time is holy that all of this time is sacred, that the difficult parts of life are still as important to us and to God um, as the most triumphant times of our life. And, you know, I mean, I think the church calendar reflects that by calling us into like deep preparation. So, you know, frankly, the pandemic has felt like just a really long Lent at sometimes, you know, like we, we had to give everything up. We had to, you know, take on a fast that maybe wasn't of our own choosing. Um, And here we are still, 
just making it through. Yeah. Yeah. And we just need to be in this moment. We need to be in this fast, Mm -hmm. in this Lent, and know that Easter's coming. It always is coming. Easter's coming. And I think that's a good segue as we kind of as we kind of start to wind this this episode down. Um, I do want to pause on that kind of triumphant moment of saying there's seven major feasts that we recognize in the church in the prayer book, of which Brennan and I, neither one of us knew what they were off the top of our head. So we'll just admit that. Or she may have known it, but I'm going to drag her down with me um, <laughs> in preparation for this. Uh, but they're the Incarnation, also known as Christmas, Epiphany, Easter, Ascension, Pentecost, Trinity Sunday, and All Saints. And All Saints is uh, actually going to be this coming Sunday. Um, this coming Sunday, you'll we'll be gathering to celebrate the Feast of All Saints, which also gives me an opportunity to talk about the great conundrums of the way the calendar operates and the way we actually practice the, the calendar. And what I mean by that is many of us will gather in our churches across Christendom, not just in the Episcopal Church on All Saints, and we'll read a list of names of people who've passed away in the parish, called the necrology or some variation of that. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful, but it's not probably in line with what all the Feast of All Saints was meant to be about. What we do, we, we conflate the Feast of All Saints and a lesser feast known as All Souls together. Because mm-hmm. quite frankly, this happens a couple times, more than a couple times, but two main times, this being one of them in the life of the church in the calendar year, because we know people probably won't come to an all soul service. So we merge elements, that main element from all souls into the celebration of all saints. When in actuality, we should be memorizing or memorizing. We should be memorizing all the big saints of the church. (laughs) We should be celebrating uh, the communion of saints, the larger uh, capital S saints, if you will, who model for us ways to live and, and uh, live to Jesus, we'll say, live for Jesus, modeled in lives before our time. And All Souls is a great opportunity for us to remember those in our life who've gone on before us and celebrate the gift that we had that God gave them as a gift to us, as we say in our burial liturgy. I mean, we thank God for giving them to us to know and to love and to cherish. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know what you say about that. You're making some funny faces, so you might completely disagree with me, but it's, uh, it's one of my big ones. And then Palm Sunday and Easter, or Palm Sunday and Holy Week is the other one. Yep, yep. I, uh, I was just thinking about um, the dean of my seminary who uh, used to talk about a, a parish, either that he went to at some point or that he served, and the sign said, All Souls Parish. And we always got, he always pointed out that was kind of a funny reminder for everybody. Uh, of course, he meant, you know, it was parish as in a church parish, not parish as in die. But yes, all souls perish. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of funny. All souls <laughs> perish. Oh, man. Well, I do. I think, uh, do you have any final thoughts on this topic? Or I'm going to leave with one history note. Yeah, I think just... Um, just one little piece of information that should be included is, you know, when you were listing the major feasts um, uh, or the principal feasts of the church and you started with the incarnation, I just wanted to mention, you know, the, the, 
the season of preparation that comes before the incarnation is the season of Advent. And that's actually when the church starts its calendar year. Um, and so, you know, when everybody gets to New Year's Day on January 1st, um, the the Christian calendar has already begun, uh, you know, a, a month earlier than that, uh, usually right at the beginning of December, the right uh, at the end of of um, November. Um, and just to acknowledge there's a little bit of difference in, in those calendars. I mean, I think uh, one of the things that we were talking about um, before the podcast was about the differences in, in our, our different calendars and, you know, the Gregorian calendar and the Julian calendar and how people mark time. Well, to add to that confusion, we have the church's liturgical calendar that, that doesn't start on January 1st either, but starts a month before that. Um, but that's, you know, again, to go back to what you said about the cycle of life that starts with birth and ends with um, resurrection. Uh, so we start our church calendar preparing for the birth of Jesus um, yeah. and, and the, the beginning of creation um, that it's renewed by the birth of, cre- of, of Jesus. So just wanted to say that. Yeah, I think that's important. And, and to your point about the Gregorian and Julian calendar, the liturgical calendar for us intersects with the Gregorian calendar, which for all, this is what I'm going to end with, this little factoid for you. The Gregorian calendar is what most of us follow when it comes to the date of Christmas, the date of Easter. You don't think twice about it. You hear that Easter is going to be April 4th and you don't think anything about it unless you might be an Orthodox Christian who still follows the Julian calendar. So their liturgical life cycle connects with the, we'll call it the real world Julian calendar which goes all the way back to 46 BC, Julius Caesar set this calendar in motion. And the major difference is the Julian calendar doesn't account for leap years, but every four years. Mm. So it's a 365-day-a-year calendar, whereas the Gregorian calendar, which comes out of the 1500s, was actually started by Pope, uh, Pope Pius III and, uh, in 1545 at the Council of Trent. and then. Um, is formalized later in 1584, it takes into account more of the lunar calendar. In other words, how long it takes the earth to travel around the sun and to rotate itself. Um, so it takes more of that into account than the Julian calendar. The Julian calendar, I would call it the South Georgia calendar. Let's just keep it simple. 365 <laughs> days a year. It sounds good. 365. Don't know why there's this extra day. We'll throw it in every four years, catch up, make up for it. The Gregorian calendar is more like a Utah calendar. It's going to be more complicated, <laughs> sophisticated. Um, so, uh, it, but it's it's the one most of us again. We probably don't. You don't sit at home when you open your Google Calendar or anything like that and go, hmm, "This is a nice Gregorian calendar." But that's actually the calendar that informs our life, not just in the church when we pick dates like Christmas and Easter, but also mm-hmm. in the real world. It's the it's the calendar most of us follow. Yeah, it's our um, civic calendar. Our civic, that's the word I'm looking for, our civic calendar. So there's a little history lesson for you to cover, just to complicate calendar life even more. But like you said, no matter if you're Orthodox Christian or even in the West, your liturgical calendar, everybody's liturgical calendar, the Christian liturgical calendar starts the first Sunday of Advent. Mm-hmm. Whether the dates line up on our civic calendars or not is not important. The life of the church begins with preparation for the birth of Jesus as we move through the life cycles 
um, that Bryn so eloquently laid out at the beginning. So that was a lot, but it was good. A lot lot more than I honestly thought we were going to get to. I think um, it's a good transition though, because uh, looking ahead to what our next um, series is going to, you know, to be focusing on, um, you know, we've talked about the one year cycle of the church year, um, but we're going to talk about the, the kind of daily cycle of, of the church and of prayer um, starting with our next episode, right? We're going to start talking about the daily office. Pray every day. Yep. That's what we like to say. Prayer day. That's right. And that's what we're going to tell you. The daily office and just how that, uh, how that can inform our, our life and spirituality and how the prayer book again helps us live into that and what it, what it um, invites us to consider and tools it gives us to complete. So that'll be exciting. So we'll pick that up next time. All right. Thanks for talking calendar with us today. We'll see y'all. We'll hear, you'll hear us. We might not see y'all, but you'll hear us next time. All right.